And then is there anything else? Oh, one second, one second. So my Google Home is telling me I've got to remind us. That's very untimely. Oh, dear. Welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, where we discuss all things app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, my guest is Elisha Sterngold, founder and CEO of Shipbook.io. We talk about the importance of logs, why code readability is better than genius code, the downside to over-engineering, and much, much more. Now on to the show. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to apologize for the sound quality. I did my best to clean it up, but not everybody has a great recording space and not everybody has a great podcasting microphone. So apologies if it's not up to the usual standard. And I also wanted to point out, I realized when I was editing, but Elijah keeps saying Fabric um, when he's obviously talking about Firebase Crashlytics, because for those who don't know, they did used to be Fabric Crashlytics. And I didn't realize until I edited it. Otherwise, I obviously would have pointed it out in the interview. So if you hear him say Fabric, he's talking about Firebase Crashlytics, just to be clear. And that's everything from me. So now on to the conversation. Whereabouts in the world are you, by the way? We are in Israel. Okay, cool. That's what I figured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are, we are located in Israel. Let's say this here... Pretty strong high-tech hub. That's what I was just going to ask. That seems like I meet a lot of people that are either fr- like from Israel or that are in Israel doing like startups and stuff. And it seems like that is one of the places to be. Let's say Israel is the second biggest technology place out of America, but in absolute terms, not percentage-wise. And the country is a very small country. So if you have absolute terms, the second biggest uh, ecosystem that's very big gotcha 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 okay cool all right so it seems like a good place for you to be so so before we get so i want to get into like shipbook and you wrote down some super interesting stuff about how you look at code quality and this and i want to dig into all of that but before we do just for like people that are listening can you give us like a brief background of how you go into coding up to like now just like a quick synopsis a little bit about what up to shipbook like how you got there uh no problem already when i was a small kid I had a computer. My parents bought a computer for their business. It was in these times, you know, it's of cost, I think, uh, tens of thousands of dollars. I don't remember more the price. And they really needed it for their business for, for to use a spreadsheet. Uh, but I, as a kid, uh, used their computer to play with. And uh, also partly programming playing uh, Small uh, scripts, or do I know what I was doing on their website? And yes, we had the computer and continued in high school. I did, I did my, my exam in computers. Uh, and also later, I did my first degree in computers. So later, I went into working when I already pretty much most of the companies that I worked with were startups. I worked at one, one startup after another, let's call it like this when there were also a few companies that I started and tried to create in parallel, most of them didn't succeed. One of them, yes, succeeded, who is called BioCatch. That's a company that uh, uh, recognizes the user according to the pattern of how they type and how they move the mouse. Oh, cool. Okay. So that's very, very good for banking, let's say. It's, it's especially as an additional security feature in banking and so And this company also... Many of the tier one banks use this product today. This was a startup that I was co-founder in the startup. 
for the moment, I already left this company. But uh, uh, so this was the the first startup that was successful. It still didn't. It that it's pretty much going. And then afterwards, I was working as a VP and in a company that was creating apps for several companies. While, for example, we created an app for I- I- IKEA or for Bed Bath and Beyond. Eh? We created for several companies apps. And uh, we had the problem, what most of people have, uh, that's in the lab it works, but by the client it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's plain, it doesn't work. How can it be? That's something that somehow uh, people know. So I, my background that I forgot to tell is from service. All the, the first startups that I was, or companies that I was working in were all servers. Now in service, it's very clear. You just look in the logs. You have usually in the old, good old times, you had a log file. You would do, uh, you would do a search in the log file, depending on which the sentences that are problematic and you would have found it. Then I thought, okay, no problem. I told to my team, I was the head of uh, development there. Okay, let's find a third party that gives you logs and, uh, wonderful. Let's, <laughs> let's find these, uh, let's find what the problem was. Uh, now, shockingly, I didn't find any good program. There were several programs that were cross platform. For example, in these days, there was log entries that still always exist. They were good as cross, cross platform logs, but they were very shockingly, they didn't give you the session from start to the end. Or if I want something from a specific user, I couldn't know. So if you had one error, I can see the error, but I can't see all the logs that were in front of, behind it. To make it work, you need to add to each log information, etc., etc., and then maybe you could make it work. But it's not how in the year 2000-something it's supposed to be. And I was completely shocked when the main problem of logs in general is, let's say in Android and iOS, is they just stay on their device. And they just are not uploaded to the cloud. And that's, that's the basic problem. So you can have a third party that fixes this problem. But the problem was that they were not adapted for mobile. They, they have a mobile SDK, but that wasn't their fault, let's call it. Now, now also shockingly, I, I also understood then that many Android and iOS developers, they're coming in the world new. This was their first jobs. And they stay the same, so they even maybe don't know the value of logs. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. For them, uh, you know, uh, they are used to be in a world without logs, and uh, maybe you have other tools to help you fix or whatever. But in development, they use the logs because that's but not in production. And this was something that I, I afterwards understood. That the education system of at least five years ago, I don't know today, uh, Android and iOS developers came out of universities, many times worked in service companies. And companies used service companies to develop their app. Today, it's already moved that Android and iOS starts is a core of the business. So it's no more external. So for this, people want the same tools for everything or, or same quality tools. But uh, they didn't have, I would tell Android and iOS developers, didn't have the basic education that was known in the world of development. I don't know how to call it. And this was something. Okay. So that brings us up to Shipbook now. So, so I have like, right now, I think it's like three, but across my career, I've released probably like 20 apps. And one of the things that I used to do was log stuff to a text file on the device 
And then there'd be buttons everywhere so the user could send me an email to say, you know, oh, something doesn't work. And when they hit that button, it would attach the log file to the email because that's the only way to get that information from the device. And to your point, like you can't turn around to somebody and say, oh, it works. It works for me. So, you know, it's working because it doesn't work for them. So and, and and up until now, I had never heard of like a service. I hadn't even thought to be to your point as well. I never even thought that, oh, there must be a service to upload logs because in the mobile world that doesn't exist. So it's just like it's a given that you get logs locally and that's it. Um, so how did you start to like roll this thing out to like, cl- I guess, to client because it would be clients, right? Like two customers. Like, how did you start that process of getting this thing out there and kind of educating people that this is something they need? So first of all, I, I would tell like this. The first stage was creating that uh, the product. Now, when I created the product, what was special, after months that you have a basic SDK and a basic, I gave it to a friend of mine. It wasn't this important app. It was just a plain app that he had. But please use it and give me your feedback. So the whole way of creating our product, we are the whole time done via feedback of our clients. And I think that's a top priority to have the clients give feedback. And that's also how I believe it's any company needs to get the feedback of the clients and very much not always in the end we decide to implement something. It can be a decision to the right or to the left, but but it's very important to get it. But I think that there are also an Android and iOS in the good old, there are people that it's obvious for them that need to have logs. It's not nobody. At least my first companies were people that were already ordering a, a file like you. We had, we had clients, we have one client that they were exactly doing what you are doing, but they saved it. And then they, and we had also clients that were using other companies that were cross platform log systems. And, you know, in the, in the end, the need of it or the pain is so clear that the solution needs to be found. And, you can do the solution several ways. One of the ways is how you told Rob of create your own file that there's many disadvantages with the system, but it's, but it also works basically. If somebody is really just asking you to, for help, then it's, it's helps. When it doesn't help is, for example, and what happens very much by my clients is that, for example, people complain in the app store. And then once it's somebody complains to the app store, gives you one star. What's, what's the matter? Oh, please give me more information. Now try to find their log file after that pissed off. So if, so first of all, it's important to have all the log files. So you don't need to ask them. Secondly, uh, you can also, that what we have in our system, we are doing something proactively. We are also checking which errors repeats themselves. And if you have the same error repeats themselves, let's say you have this error happens in 3% of all sessions. Oh, then something that's proactively the user should correct. So the advantage is not only if somebody complains, you also want to the, to stop it before said clients start to complain about it. So it's sure not enough to to send it later, let's say like this. But in any case, so we started and then we start to get our first clients and then bigger and bigger and slowly we get uh, pretty nice clients. So uh, not all of them pretty enough I can... Uh, I still didn't get permission of all of the clients to, to tell, yes, uh, they're working with us, but uh, some of them are really known names and it's wonderful that we can help and do an impact. You know, when you start something, you never know, will it, 
I saw many startups, worked in startups that I worked there for three years. I was an employee, so it's nothing to do with me. But, and then nobody used it. You know, 10 people maybe used the app and that's something. Here we have at least, we are installed in millions and millions of devices. I even don't know how many, to tell the truth, because it doesn't. And uh, tens of millions of devices. And it's wonderful that it's as a life. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like to your point, I've worked for a lot of startups as well. And it's like, you know, you get on and on board and everyone's very excited. And then I'm a contractor. So, you know, six months later I leave and two years down the line, that place doesn't exist anymore. So like, it's nice to see the, the success that you have. Quick interruption. If you're a fan of the show, I'd love it if you could leave it a positive rating review in your podcast app of choice. Contrary to what you might have heard, it doesn't actually help the show be discovered, but it does provide the social proof that it's a show worth listening to. So if you have 30 seconds to spare, I'd really, really appreciate it. And now back to the show. One question I had, and I think people listening might have as well is, and I think I understand, but I just want you to explain it a little bit is, would somebody use Shipbook alongside something like Crashlytics or would you pick one over the other? Because right now, at least for most of the companies that I've worked, they'll have Crashlytics to log crashes but they'll also use Crashlytics to log non-fatal errors because that's the only thing that they have that has a dashboard and it's easy to search and stuff. So where does Shipbooks um, kind of sit in that sort of stack? Our view in general is to use the two of them. Crashlytics is for free, so I don't defend, so there's no reason not to use them. So crashes, we have, we catch crashes, but this is not our fault. I don't want to tell, you know, I can't say anything bad about our product, but... Crashlytics does it better. Let's be realistic. Crashlytics for the moment, I hope that we will improve with the time, but for the moment, Crashlytics does a great job in crashes. The problem is that they don't have logs. The events that they have is not free search events. You have an event, you have, I think, I don't know if it's 500 or 5,000 maximum events that you can have, and then you have parameters. But it's not that you can have, let's say I would advise whenever I'm, I would advise to people to log all inter... Let's say I am doing an app that has an interaction with a server. I would log all information of the server. Why? Because usually the app developer doesn't have a very strong communication with the server, with the server people. And then, so the first important question when something doesn't work good, is it problem of the server side or is it of the client side? That's usually the, the place of, uh, of problematic. Now, logging just as free text, that's something that doesn't exist in Crashlytics. It doesn't help. Not only this, even if you have an error, you need to know the whole flow. You might have, okay, you have an error, but it's because two minutes before the server sent me a crappy JSON. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I need to know the whole flow to analyze. And it's not that I invented anything new. Logs were there much before me, just using it also for mobile. I don't know how to tell. And, and the big problem in logs, and this I think on my site, or, or it's the server side, nothing to do with you, is the amount of data. To manage this, if we are talking about Fabric and do I know what, they don't catch all crashes. Fabric, if you have above, I don't remember how many users, they start to take only statistics. They tell, okay, I take, uh, I take 1% of the crashes. It's enough to give you the statistics of to tell you which crashes the most. 
Unlike the case by me or by logs that we keep all logs and we get all logs so that you can deal with a certain customer specific that complains. The, the problem is it's to deal with uh, such amount of data is a big job from our server side and something that, that is also costly. And therefore, a company like even Google, probably if they would go into this direction, they would also ask money for keeping this information. And then logging is, is something that is costly and is something that you disk space, etc., etc. to have. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got you. I, I think that explains it um, pretty well. Okay. So I, I want to talk a little bit about code as well. Because so, so when I sent the, the calendar invite and you filled out like the intake form, um, and one of the things that you wrote is that the, the readability of code is much more important than the genius of code. And I kind of want to make sure that we're on the same page and for people listening. So can you dig into a little bit about why is the readability of code so important compared to, you know, the quote unquote genius of code? Okay. I came of a world of C++ and after that I worked in a startup that we worked in C. So I just want to bring my background that is very important. People that come of this world of C or write algorithms or do I know what, they will many times, the question is when you have a for loop, if you write plus plus I or you write I plus plus, there's a difference of speed. What happens that they, they was build a whole culture around C, C++ to be as effective as possible in winning another millisecond. And then, and sometimes people write genius code, really very clever things, but you just can't read it because they, are, they found out a, a, a way to write it that you just can't read it. Now, in reality, if we are talking about 99% of service, I would tell you, usually I can talk about shipbook. I can't talk about all, but let's take an example shipbook. If you ask me where are the, the problems of speed, is any interaction with the database. Anything that isn't interaction with database, there's completely no difference how far. If I write it, I can write it as crappy as I want. So there will be one millisecond different. There won't be any different whatsoever. So therefore, once that you know this, what the importance is writing good code. If you, if you, and even let's say that you write crappy code and because of this it takes twice as, uh, as long. So you can use two servers. So you pay a bit more for servers. And relative to the problem, what is when you write crap, when you write genius code that is unreadable? Bugs. You, usually they are unreadable, they are so clever that fixing a problem there is, is impossible. You just can't read it. Secondly, the, the, the problem is, let's say I wrote it, I still understand what I wrote. But what's with my team member that is working with me? He can't read it, he doesn't understand. It, by writing nicely, let's say we, if we talk about the object-oriented world, it might be that functional, at least in C, is faster but if you write nicely, fun, it's much easier to, to understand, much easier to, 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 to keep up. And I would also tell the same thing with architecture. You can talk about the code as a small unit, but you can also talk about the architecture of the, of the system. I would many times prefer to have a simple solution than the best solution. I don't know how to call it. And, and, and I would tell usually do the simplest solution first, something that is understandable, 
if you start to get into a problem, then start to get uh, more, more, uh, more, then start to try to fix it. Don't try to fix it before the time. I'll just give you an example, a simple example. I forgot how it's called, the database that keeps uh, data in memory, in memory database, uh, Redix. Many tell, oh, if you want to do it, you should die, put things in Redix to keep, but maybe you don't need Redix. By adding Redix, you have a, a more complicated system. By having a more complicated system, you have something more than can fall down. It's right that once it will be a multi-billion dollar company, you might need Redix. It's right. I don't... But wait, and it might be that not, because for example, I can tell you in Shipbook, we use, uh, we use for our server node, and we have something that's called node cache, and we keep caching of the important parts in each server, and that's enough for what I need. And, you know, and because I'm completely stateless, therefore there's no, they, I even don't keep any information uh, that keep. I just give it an example. But that's, that's also with many things and also show in the mobile world. You can do solutions that are simple and you can do solutions that are, uh, that are complicated and try to find solutions for problems that still don't exist. And then you create an enormous, after you see uh, those companies that have hundreds of developers on a very small product and you ask yourself, why? What? <laughs> what why? And they made such a complicated, so many levels and uh, when in the end, it's only a weather. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I see that a lot, especially being like, because I'm a contractor, I go into a lot of different companies. So people swap out, right? So the person that wrote the code that you're working on isn't there anymore. And you have a lot of experiences where you go in and somebody wrote, you know, to, to quote you like genius code, you know, it's really concise. It does the exact thing. And then when there's an issue it take where it should take me like 15 minutes to fix it it will take me like two hours because it's really unclear like it's really unclear exactly how this thing works and so i think it's super important that when you are coding especially when you're coding not just like i think if you're just coding to work on something for yourself you can write whatever you want because it's yours but when you're working with other people i also think that whenever you work on whatever you you want or your own system i will you two things First of all, two years afterwards, when you go back to your code, sometimes you ask, who the heck wrote it? He's yeah, an idiot. True. Yeah. I don't know, sometimes it happens to me. It happens to me as well. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so first of all, also when you write to yourself, let's say the next month you will know, but in two years you won't know. Yes. yes. Secondly, whatever practices you make for yourself, you will have to make it everywhere. So if you start to get used in writing good code and writing it in a systematic way, I just will give you an example. Never I wrote code without putting it in direct in Git. It's right, you can use Dropbox or whatever, but why not put a two minutes effort? It's not more than two minutes to start a Git. Today it starts to be standard. I'm 10, 10 years ago, people wouldn't use, I, I knew so many people that would develop and just start to do copies on their, on their disk. Okay, version number one, version number two, version number three, but are you crazy? How do you know the differences? When you have Git, you can, just follow easily, and or or any other source control. It's not important today. Git became the standard, but uh, there were times before this. But <laughs> so so that's part of the part of the, the mm -hmm. issue. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And, and to your point, you're right that if you are working on code for yourself, like it's better to get into good habits that you can then take to other places than give yourself bad habits and have to train them out when you go and work somewhere. So that totally makes sense to me. All right. So um, I, I really only have one other question. And then if there's anything else you want to talk about, we can. Um, but the last question is something that I like to ask everybody, which is what do you think separates an okay developer from a great developer? I, in my view, and this continues really my previous point, an okay developer, in my view, is somebody that is giving solutions that are locally. You know, they can really locally give a good solution. Great developers think globally, are not, cl- are not closed in their, in their small box. And usually it's been, and they, they will think of the whole solution and the whole problem. And I think that's many times the difference. I saw it. I, like I told, we were a contracting company that made for others, a service company that made for others, for others uh, apps. And you could really see the difference between status and non-status. So I don't know how to call it. The status sometimes knew even uh, the language better. I don't know how to tell. They they knew the whole uh, the whole book better, and they were even faster, and they were. You know, young people have a better, more energy, do I not? But they didn't know how a system is supposed to look like. And they didn't know the right solution. And this is on a, on a higher level. And that's maybe a bit connected to the previous uh, point that I told. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, cool. Um, and then I guess that the final, final question is, where if people are listening, they want to check out Shipbook, they want to find out more about you, um, where can they go online, social media, website, all, all that kind of stuff? The easiest is just to go to Shipbook.io. And from there, they should uh, start to uh, go around. Soon, we will have a very interesting blog in, in our website. We'll start to have a blog with, with, several, uh, deve- with several important developers, blog writers, top developers in other companies about uh, quality. We want very much nothing to do about logs, even though I believe logs is a very important part of quality, but really we will try to have a blog of really just talking about quality of apps, how to make more better quality apps, how to this, and I think it will be a very interesting uh, blog that soon will come out, and I think that this will be wonderful to look at. Huge thanks to today's guest, Elisha Sterngold. You can find more about Shipbook at shipbook.io and you can find Elisha on LinkedIn. The link is in the show notes. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or fellow developer. And if you really want to support the show, you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash donate. And if you don't want to miss future episodes of the show, make sure you follow or subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee and Coding Podcast.